You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War. On this episode of our Spanish Civil War interview series, I was joined by Tom Wardle. Tom's research focuses on memory activism and how the Spanish Civil War is remembered, and how that memory is fought over in modern-day Spain. When discussing history, it can be easy to fall into just discussing, you know, person A did thing B on date C, when in fact, one of the most important aspects of history is not just what happened, but also what the effects of those events were, and how we today remember those events. Near the end of our discussion, Tom mentions the award-winning 2018 documentary The Silence of Others, which I recommend to anyone who wants to learn more about some of the subjects that we discuss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spanish Civil War interview series. Today, I'm joined by Tom Wardle, a postgraduate research student at the University of Southampton, whose research focuses on memory activism of the Spanish Civil War and the Franco dictatorship. Tom, how's it going today? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Um, I'm doing okay, as good as I could do in, in 2020. Uh, it, yeah. Day before Thanksgiving... For, for those in the United States who are listening to this far after the day before Thanksgiving. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Tom, your work uh, uses the phrase memory activism a lot. Uh, could you describe what memory activism is? Yeah, so I think it probably helps to break it down into the two, the two portions of it. So, firstly, memory has is become the sort of byword for human rights um, inquiries um, and in, into the past. Um, so it's, it was used a lot, firstly, in Latin America, uh, uh, which itself was in, uh, influenced quite significantly by, by the Holocaust, uh, but also the role of of testimony and witnessing in in this um, process. And then secondly, the part about activism. So um, I suppose you, you might think of it as get kind of uh, trying to compel the state or local government into some form of action about how the past is, is commemorated. Or, or remembered so as 
effectively, I, I'm using this um, this term, which has been coined quite recently by uh, a scholar called Yifek Gutman, um, to look at how activists in the movement for the recovery of historical memory in Spain are going about their their activism. And so for from like an outsider perspective, it can be easy to think that maybe like the views of the Spanish Civil War and what happened are kind of settled. Uh, but my understanding is that memory of the Civil War and how it's portrayed is still a topic of debate uh, within Spain. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, definitely. So to, to offer context, um, so when Franco and his troops won the Civil War definitively in, in 1939, they set about creating kind of national myths about, about their victory in the Spanish Civil War, talking about martyrs, uh, talking about a crusade against uh, communism, as you probably covered in your podcast. And then in 1975, quite a jump forward, but when, when Franco died, um, his state is, his um, succession is it isn't it doesn't go perfectly um and francoists people who are loyal to his regime still have quite a lot of power in in the transition but also as a big process of democratization and one of the um byproducts of this is that there's a sort of generalized agreement that politicians at the very least won't bring up the spanish civil war they won't say for example the communist party won't say well uh, you you killed communists in the spanish civil war and vice versa and so there's this this what's been called pact of silence pact of forgetting uh which lasts from 1975 until about 2000, when uh, a journalist, Emilio Silva, decides to to try and find the remains of his grandfather, uh, which, so his grandfather was um, in the midst of the civil war, was taken into the country in the middle of the night, shot and buried by the side of the road in an unmarked grave. And um, when Silva does this in 2000, it, it starts this uh, this movement for the recovery of historical memory. Um, and I'm probably jumping ahead a bit, but, um, but it is. Uh, and then that movement in, in 2007, it, it compels the government for the first time to, um, to produce what was called the historical memory law. Um, which was criticised by by the right for being divisive um, about the past, but also criticised by memory activists for not going far enough. And in the last few years, um, when the Conservatives are in power, they deprive this law of any funding. And now, again, the issue has come up recently with... Um, with uh, 
the election of the Socialist Party. And so in 2019, last year, they decided to remove Franco from the Valley of the Fallen, uh, which is the, the mausoleum that he built to himself. Um, <laughs> and then more recently, um, they have presented a bill for what is now being called the Democratic Memory Law. Um, and so this is to kind of paper over, to smooth over the issues of the shortcomings of the 2007 law. And so it's, it's definitely on the political agenda, um, quite high up the agenda, I would say. The, the hard right party, um, Vox, is completely opposed to memory initiatives, whereas if the further leftward that you travel, generally those parties are more in favour of, of historical memory um so it is still divisive i think to that extent because um you know a lot of people in spain still to this day on both sides have grandparents who are maybe killed in the civil war or imprisoned and there's also been a lot of kind of historiographical debate about about the spanish civil war and also, I think for the kind of international community, particularly the international left, the Spanish Civil War is still the kind of major reference point of of the left internationally. I would say. So uh, you talk about being kind of divisive. Um, what types of things are are sort of the memory activists trying to surface or talk about and maybe other people don't want to talk about? I'm sure it's not, well, it started on this date and it ended on this date and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so I think generally the starting point is that they want Spanish society to, well, at least the Spanish government to start commemorating key dates in in the brief democracy that they had, like Spanish Republic. Uh, so, for example, recently it was the anniversary of, um, of women being given the right to vote in Spain, uh, and that wasn't commemorated in Spain. So it's that, but also what I'm trying to do in my research is to, to broaden this, this scope of memory activism, because... Really, the literature has just looked at it through the uh, through the lens of just mass graves, of which there are an awful lot. But I'm I'm also looking into the monuments um, of a Spanish Civil War and dictatorship. So there's still quite a lot of Franco's monuments around. I'm also looking at um, uh, legal activism. So there are still survivors of the dictatorship who were who were imprisoned or tortured who are trying to take this to uh to human rights courts in argentina um and also just people who are generally um trying to raise awareness so 
you mentioned uh, sort of monuments and things. So how prevalent are public remembrance monuments and events uh, about the Civil War, like in current day Spain? So it, it's quite difficult to say. I came to this topic through actually studying Spanish rather than from history. I'm not a historian. And I remember um, going to Spain a few years ago and being under the impression that there would be kind of monuments everywhere. And, but there's really not. Um, and I think there's something tourists to Spain are always very surprised about. You, you see in Madrid there's, I don't know, a statue to Lorca and Barcelona is a uh, plaza named after George Orwell. But um, recently, well, in the last couple of decades or so, memory activists, but also the government have been, and local governments, I should say, have been trying to create places of memory, monuments to victims, or just to rename uh, things. But conversely, as I say, the Franco dictatorship, it built a lot of myths uh, and it, ha it had its symbols like any, like any dictatorship did. And so it named, it named streets after battles, it named streets after generals. Um, and part of the problem, or the perceived problem, is that a lot of these streets are, are still named um, after these events, for example, streets in Madrid named after the, the Blue Division, which is the division that, that Franco sent to fight alongside the Nazis in, in, in the Second World War. And um, so inc increasingly these signs are being removed. I think there's a general consensus that these signs have, you know, can't, can't be tolerated in a democracy, um, but I think if you're a tourist to Spain, you would probably be surprised by how few monuments commemorating the Republic or commemorating uh, figures of the Spanish Civil War there are. So I, I mentioned the Valley of the Fallen, so that was uh, a monument which uh, Franco built as uh, as a homage to his victory in the Spanish Civil War, effectively. And now that Franco's been removed from it, one of the kind of most prominent memory activist campaigns is to get that the Valley of the Fallen transformed into a centre for memory or a museum. So kind of emulating maybe what they've done in Auschwitz. Um, so transforming a perceived negative symbol into uh, something educative. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And it seems like uh, sort of reading about some of these... uh, modern memory laws and things like that there's a lot of debate and discussions around like exhuming remains and it's sort of investigating the violence that maybe has been hidden um but that seems like a contentious topic still is uh, why is that so the memory movement if we can call it that started in in 2000 and that started with the uh, the exhumation of of 13 Republicans. And since then, uh, we're seeing more and more exhumations in the last 20 years. Um, But also these have been kind of uh, channeled through the prism of enforced disappearances, which is kind of universal human rights term, which has become more prevalent. When in 2007, uh, a Spanish judge started an investigation into the, the crimes of, of Francoism. They reported that there are about 114,000 cases of enforced disappearances. Uh, so this probably isn't, doesn't quite fit entirely with uh, the, the bones of the Spanish Civil War. But if, if we take that Kind of figure. So over the last 20 years, uh, they estimate that about 9,000 bodies have been recovered from 700 mass graves. And this, a lot of it has been with, uh, has been kind of carried out by memory activist associations, organizations, but also some of it by local governments. It depends where you are in Spain. And now that the the current government is um, has has historical memory or democratic memory quite high on its agenda, 
um, they're saying that feasibly in the next six years they could recover about 20,000 more bodies. Um, so that, that's how we're kind of, that's what we're looking at in terms of figures. But also, I, I think um, studies have focused on exhumations because it's, it's arguably one of the most emotive topics because there are still um, quite a lot of people in Spain who maybe they know where their grandparents or parents in some cases are buried but they haven't been able to, to recover them. Lots of people don't know where, where they were buried. There's a lot of graves that are still un uncovered. And so I think this is, it's become the kind of defining image of historical memory has been recovering these bodies. Um, that makes sense. Uh, so it sounds like the, sort of the the memory activists or the memory movement is kind of combating both you know a purposeful kind of mythologizing of 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 part of the war but also a a purposeful hiding of of some of the things that happened uh, during this period absolutely and i think that's what that's one of the things i'm trying to to explore that it's not for for memory activists it's not just the recovery of the body it's for some for some activists it is just the recovery of the body for some family members or relatives it is but for others it's the kind of recovery of their of their ideals of their lives from from forgetting from being literally buried in the ground um so i, I think it's it's effectively about dignity is how it is termed because for for a part they've been the way that they were buried is considered undignified and their their treatment is undignified and a lot of memory experts talk about dignifying the memory of someone by by recovering by recovering them not just their body but them as a person and it also allows discussion about why they ended up where they were. Um. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that's probably something that's important to remember because the, the Francoist repression was, was ideologically motivated, politically motivated as well. And these for the vast, vast, vast majority of ones that are still being recovered or bodies that are still being recovered, they are tied to uh, the Republican side of the Civil War. Um, and so the memory movement does intersect quite, quite a lot with uh, Republicanism in Spain. I know a large part of the interactions with these events um, is a very personal story of remembrance for people whose families usually experienced it. Could you talk about some of the research that you've done into these stories? The repression is kind of a, a recurring theme 
um, a lot of people forcibly disappeared. This is a term that I've used. Uh, so heavily in the south of Spain in particular, um, the Fr Francoist army, it just sought to eliminate its opponents. So they, they took people from their homes uh, and, and shot them sometimes in the cemetery so they could bury them easily, sometimes in the streets. And the, the stories are really quite moving. One of the people that I interviewed, um, she was born a week before the start of the Spanish Civil War. And um, uh, her father was, was a wanted man. So um, she hid, uh, sorry, he hid in the house for a few days until they came to get him and uh, so that he could spend time with his daughter. Um, uh, but then they came for him and disappeared. And for, for the majority of her childhood, um, she was told that her dad would, would come back he was watching over her and she didn't understand what had happened to him. Uh, and then it was only when, when she went to get married that she, when she gave her details to the registrar that they said that we can't find your name on the file um, because that wasn't, wasn't her real name. And she's spent her life over 80 years without a father looking looking for looking for information about her father which she still just hasn't been able to encounter because it was so difficult during the during the Spanish Civil War because you couldn't say that your your father was you know a left-wing activist and was was murdered for his beliefs. So it's only really with the emergence of this memory movement that she's been able to find out what happened to her father. She hasn't been able to find out very much from what I can tell you, but she now knows where, where her father is buried. Um, and they are currently exhuming that grave. And I think it's going to take a few more months but then they'll go through with DNA tests and will hopefully be able to identify his bones using her sample of DNA. And it, you know, it makes me upset to think about it, but her one last wish in her life is to be, is to be buried with, with her father. The father has always been missing throughout her life. And I think this is, quite common in uh, in Spanish society at the moment. There must be thousands of people, probably not so many with parents, but with grandparents, and they want to bury their grandparents or their parents with the rest of the family to end the the uh, the kind of indignant burial, the undignified burial that they've had in a in an unmarked mass grave with 
hundreds or in this case thousands of other victims. So I, I think that one of the other maybe misconceptions is that memory activism is just about um, the Spanish Civil War. Uh, it's in Spain, it's, it's also, to a lesser extent, admittedly, it's also about the Francoist dictatorship and particularly the left, uh, so the late Francoist dictatorship. So um, there were quite a few pro democracy, anti Franco activists, particularly in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, as you get later. And um, you know, this was an authoritarian regime and lots of them were were locked up, they were tortured. I've interviewed some of these, uh, these activists who are trying to use universal jurisdiction to, to treat these as human rights abuses. And one really significant event that happened this year, or two significant events, which actually kind of underline, I think, where Spain is as a country on this memory front is um, a couple of deaths that happened both due to coronavirus. So um, the first one that happened was one of these anti-Franquist um, militants in, in the 1960s. His name was Chato Galante. I was going to interview him. Um, but didn't have a chance to, unfortunately. And he was one of the most prominent voices speaking about human rights abuses. And uh, he was one of the principal um, people in the documentary, The Silence of Others, which um, you really should watch. And he died of coronavirus, I think, in March, without ever having had a trial or... So rather, without ever having had the chance to speak out against these human rights abuses in a court in Spain. And then a few weeks after that, the man that tortured him, uh, a Franquist police officer known as Billy the Kid, he also died. But when he died, he also died with all the, the titles and medals and increased pension uh, that he had earned during Francoism for cracking down on, on the resistance. So I think the fact that in 2020 these two characters were dying with kind of unresolved legacies, clearly they were taking different paths, and as I say, Billy El Nino, uh, Billy the Kid, actually tortured Chato. And I think this kind of underlines that the past in, in Spain, even the quite recent past, still is, it's got a long way to go and people are trying to, to fix it. But this later generation is also dying. Yeah, I guess it is... Um... I think about 45 years in the past since the end of the Franco dictatorship. So you're not talking about that long ago, but still long enough um, for, for people to be getting up there in age. 
Um, you mentioned that there's a new law, the democratic memory law, I think you called it. Um, d does that, what is sort of the, the, the hopeful outcome of that? Like, is, is that something that, that, you know, the, the memory movement people think will have a big effect or are we looking at that maybe, you know, getting robbed of any of its ability to make changes, um, in, in a couple of years, if political, the, the political situation changes? Yeah, well, this is part of the issue is that um, at the moment it's just a minority government. Um, but really it is still focusing on exhumations, but there are also plans to continue with the, uh, the withdrawal of Francoist symbols and street names. Um, and I think generally just to build a, what might be called a politics of memory. So if you look at countries like France, for example, where they commemorate the French resistance, um, it, what a lot of memory activists uh, want to do is to have this sort of public politics of memory where, where Francoism, or, you know, sometimes it's called fascism, is is publicly condemned in a lot stronger terms than what it is currently, because I think there's this perception that it's still being still being tolerated quite a lot. There was the other day; um, it was the anniversary of of General Franco's death, and at his new grave, there was a crowd of people there singing singing the uh, the hymns of the Falange and um, doing fascist salutes. So one of the other stipulations of this law is uh, to ban the exaltation of, of um, Francoism. So this is kind of taking its leave from the banning of, of uh, Nazi glorification in, well, I was going to say Germany, but in, in a lot of countries, really, and to, to put them on par with one another. Interesting. So it, it sounds like, you know, um, the hope is that, that even if uh, things change in the future, there's progress made now that, that helps uh, moving forward. I think so. I've, I've, you know, debated this on, on Twitter quite a lot. And um, a lot of people I've seen have said it's quite, divisive this new law but really i i think it's just bringing spain up to kind of minimal standards with with human rights norms condemning dictatorship and and recovering the victims of of that dictatorship and very belatedly i would add and i think that's part of the kind of issue in spain is that the civil war ended over 80 years ago. Um, we then, they then had a dictatorship of nearly 40 years. And then 40 years on from that, it's still, it's still being discussed. It's still being debated. Yeah. And I guess, you know, maybe part of the problem is, is some of those other places you talked about, like, you know, if you're looking at Germany, there's, there's a really hard end date on, on things where, you know, um, that there was a certain amount of time, then it ended and then they moved forward where, 
uh, it sounds like the Spanish memory sort of went through the, the Francoist years and sort of transitioned without really confronting uh, what happened due to the pact of silence and, and things around it. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. But um, my understanding is it also took um, post-war Germany, West Germany, quite a while to, to come to terms with, with the Nazism. But um, it did eventually a lot quicker than, than Spain has. Okay. Uh, thank you for joining me here today uh, for, for this interview. It's been uh, really uh, enlightening and interesting. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to hearing everyone else's podcast.